Hello and welcome back to the Bolf podcast. I am here once again with my friend and esteemed co-host BBK. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad, not too bad. Before we start off, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who has listened to the podcast already. The results we've got from it have been incredible and it's kind of given us more motivation to come back and get more involved in social media. So thank you very much for that. Shall we just dive right into it, Ben? Or is there anything you wanted to talk about before we go? I think we just dive right into it. There's been quite a lot that's happened this week, so I think it's best we just get into it. So, first topic of discussion, I'd guess, has to be Manchester United. I think it does as well. It's been a strange, a strange week of football. It has. Uh, ben, do you want to talk us through it? Well, I think it goes from Manchester United, obviously, they lost to Sheffield United, and then they had a bit of a... They had a draw against Arsenal, 0-0, and I think there was a bit of a, had Man United got it, you know, had they dampened their title hopes, but then they just come out with a massive 9-0 win against Southampton. Yeah, and of course, a huge part of that game has to be the sending off, sendings off. Right, yes. Uh, the first one and the last one. We'll start off with the first one. What what, what were your feelings on it? Because obviously, the, I think it was a young lad who, who ended up performing the foul, wasn't it? Yeah, he, was, he made his debut. Yeah, well, what a way to make your debut. <laughs> <laughs> that you get, he got sent off within like 57 seconds. I mean, I saw it and it, it was a red card, I thought. So um, I think it was a fair decision from the referee and obviously not good for Southampton and that just obviously helped Man United on their way. Yeah, I think a lot of people look at the 9-0. I think it happened not quite the same, but it was similar when obviously they lost 9-0 to Leicester. In fact, just before the podcast, you were saying there's been three 9-0 defeats in total in the Premier League. Southampton have done two of them in two years. It's incredible. I know. So, but realistically, this week there's obviously been a lot of controversy about red cards, VAR, all this kind of thing. But I think it's fair to say that 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 first first one was definitely a red card. I can't. I do feel uh, very sorry for the for the young guy because obviously it's his debut. Yeah. He's like, I think he did. He, he just lost the ball. Is that yeah, right? He, yeah. he just given the ball away. I think he was just making a challenge with um, Scott McTominay, and he just went studs, studs. He studs were really high, to be fair. But he obviously was probably just eager to get into you know the challenge, and unfortunately, he just got a red card. Yeah, and I don't know if you can make much of it, but the fact that he was right in front of the manager, he would have lost the ball. The manager would be screaming at him. Yeah. So he's just going to go in as hard as he can. I think I saw the manager's reaction, and he. I think he knew straight away as well. It was a red card. It's not something that we don't see every single week. It's just a shame it's happened to, to a young kid. And then, obviously, moving on from that red card, Man United went and scored, was it four or five, I think? They scored, uh, well, yeah. No, they had six. They had six, and then, obviously, in the 86th minute, there was the first bit of controversy of the game, which was Martial going down under the tackle of Jan Bednarek. Yeah. Uh, I've watched this a million times. I don't know about you, I... I couldn't understand why it was given, but there's no way, for me, there's no way that's a red card. No, it wasn't a red card. It's definitely a penalty because he was through on goal and he, he got clipped, but it definitely wasn't a red card. I saw the rules and the rules are that if you don't make an attempt to play the ball and you just take out the player, then it has to be a red card. Because if you made an attempt to play the ball but took out Martial, it would have just been a yellow card. Yeah, I don't, I'm not really on board with that rule as much though. No. Cause no. Is that that's surely that's just encouraging players rather than, you know, trying to move out of the way and get round people to make the challenge. That's literally just encouraging them to go through the back of them. And as long as they're going for the ball, it doesn't matter. But I think the key thing here 
for me, is anywhere else on the pitch, it'd be a free kick, but it's the, it's not even a yellow card. No. Ten yards further back. So why is it all of a sudden a red card? I think it's obviously just because it's through on goal and they, they're saying he potentially stopped a goal scoring opportunity, which in a way, if you look at it, he did, but he didn't mean to, which is where then you look at was it accidental? Did he mean it to? Well, obviously, we know that he didn't mean to, but the rules state that if you stop a goal scoring opportunity, it's a red card. So this is my problem with, with that uh, that rule, is people talk about stopping a goal scoring opportunity when giving away a penalty. The whole point of a penalty is that when you're in the box, it's an obvious goal scoring opportunity. Yeah. And they give you a penalty, which is an obvious goal scoring opportunity. Yeah. So regardless of where the Bednarek gets sent off or not, Manchester United have still had a goal-scoring opportunity, yeah. regardless of whether Benderet was sent off or not. Yeah. So looking at that, I can't believe that was it. I think it's Mike Dean. I think he's. I can't believe he's gone over to the uh, to the the VAR, VAR screen and not at least overturned it to a yellow card no. or made it a yellow card because it to me there's no way that's a red. But to be honest, by that point the damage was done. It was. I think you've got to give. You've got to give shout-outs to Marcus Rashford. Luke Shaw had the game of his life. He, he went from, or the half of his life. Yeah, Aaron um, Wan-Bissaka had a good game as well. Yeah, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, uh, Edinson Cavani getting his goals, Scott McTominay coming on and doing bits. And I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Anthony Martial, because obviously recently Edinson, Edinson Cavani's kind of been getting into the team. Uh, as a Man United fan, are you... Which way do you lean with Martial? Because there's a bit of a divide, isn't there? Uh, well, I think it's good that they both got a goal in that game to boost both their confidence. But I think as an out-and-out striker, I think Cavani's been there, he's done it, he's scored over 350 goals. He knows. I think he knows more how to play centre-forward rather than Martial. You can see you know, when he makes the runs in behind, he knows where to run to, he knows when to run to. And I don't think Martial has developed that quite yet in comparison to Cavani. So I think he just needs to learn off Cavani, I, like I can I can see it in Rashford and Greenwood. They're all learning off Cavani, so I, I think while we've got them both now, I would I'd be playing Cavani every game. Yeah, and I suppose the other the other thing to then say, and I kind of want to, being as we had a heavy Chelsea chat last week, I'm just going to bring it back to Chelsea for a second because people have talked about kind of uh, Timo Werner and mainly for my argument in Kai Havertz not playing particularly well. Uh, Martial, if I'm I uh, might be wrong, but was he around fifty million when you bought him? Was that right? Something like that. Um, I think he was about thirty-eight million. I think with a lot of there was a lot of bonuses involved. You know, in winning yeah. the Ballon d'Or, Champions League. Yeah. And I think the point was is back back when they bought him, thirty million wasn't loads, but considering he was very young, and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, it's not quite on the level of Kai Havertz, but I'm just wondering, with the money you've spent on him, I'm not sure the exact amount of goals he's got. But for the amount of time he's been playing for Man United, it's certainly not. It's not a lot, if you know, if you if you get what I mean. Is yeah. there a case for him to maybe, I don't know, not necessarily be dropped or sold, but is there a case for him maybe to become a bit of an understudy figure at Man United, or do you think he will eventually become well, become that main guy? Well, he's only twenty five years old, so I, I still think there's time with him, and I'm hopefully with Cavani being there. Well, you would have thought that he's been under. You know, Iba was there, Lukaku, now Cavani, all quality strikers. And you would have thought 
he'd just be able to learn off him, but it doesn't seem like he's been able to do that yet. And maybe with Cavani, it's the last straw for him. Mm. I mean, I think I think one of the obvious things is he's definitely good enough. You can tell with the little flashes you get from him. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure if he's going to get better than he is. I think with Martial, it it's the consistency. He doesn't do it every weekend, yeah. week out. Yeah, he could have a great game this weekend and then next weekend he has a flopper, you know? It's just about, I think for Man United especially, you have to be able to do it week in, week out. And how much do you think kind of the upcoming of Mason Greenwood has affected it? I'm just trying to think of any reason why he might not be performing and you could say he's got the pressure of, a, of young kids kind of on his tail. You know, Mason Greenwood doesn't score loads of goals, but then he's only what, 18, 19 years of age. So yeah, 18 years you old. You don't really expect as much from him, but relatively to what you expect from them, you could argue that he's performing well above what Martial's performing at, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I agree with you. Well, I think if I like, if I had a chance for one of them to, let's say, you know, 90th minute of the Champions League final, who would you want out of them to? I'd want Mason Greenwood over Martial. And I think that... Yeah, I think that's, that's the worrying thing. That says something about potentially how good Greenwood is or how not as good Martial is right now. But then again, I suppose you could ease, you could you could say the same for something like the comparison between Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. That if you had one minute left, who would you choose? I'd probably go with Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't know about you. I would do Ronaldo as well. I suppose it'd depend what the situation was, but you think of like a 90th minute corner, 90th minute free kick, penalty, anything, you'd probably want Cristiano Ronaldo. But that doesn't mean to say that Cristiano Ronaldo is the better player, so no. to speak. Yeah. So... I think I think there's a good chance Martial will become a, a better player than he is. I just think he's you know he's like you say he's 25 years of age, so he's kind of in that middle prime period. And if this is his prime, I don't really want to watch him when he's 30 years old. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So no, it's it's an interesting one. I suppose if we if we keep to the kind of the Martial the red the red card controversies, all these kind of things, uh, we kind of have to actually drop back one week. Um, and look for the second game in two weeks with two red cards. And that was, of course, Wolves playing against Arsenal. Yes, it was. Obviously, Arsenal just coming off the back of that draw to Man United. Do you want to talk about David Luiz or Bert Nano first? Um, I think you have to go, what we, just what we've spoken about, Bergner, I think you have to do David Luiz. Yeah, well, I think, um, so recently I've heard that the red card for Bednarek has been... Um, Rescinded, is that the word, the, yeah? Yeah, 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 they've, can, they've cancelled it. I don't know what the word is. But they've cancelled it, but they haven't cancelled David Luiz's. Which I find a joke. I think a lot of people have said that. Well, the, the first thing I met, noticed after going on Twitter after the game was Bednarek walk, walking off the pitch going, even Martial said that wasn't a foul. Now, I don't know if there's much in it, but the referee for the Manchester United game was, of course, the greatest referee of all time in Mike <laughs> Dean. And Craig Porson was the referee for the Arsenal game. Now, I'm just looking at his record compared with Mike Dean's. So he gives, on average, 0.17 red cards a game as opposed to Mike Dean's 0.21. So it could be argued that Mike Dean gives out more red cards and and therefore is probably more experienced in what giving a red card means. But also, could you argue that the way Mike Dean's kind of been portrayed quite a lot recently, that he's a bit of a for want of a better word, he's a bit of an idiot. You know, he's he's not the brightest tool in the box. Could it be argued that 
because it was a different referee on a different night and a different result, could those factors have played in? Because obviously at 9 nil, it doesn't really matter whether a player gets sent off or not because you're still going to lose. Could it be that because it's Mike Dean and because it's 9 nil, they decided just to redo that one as kind of a pity thing, but they didn't for Arsenal because they felt David Luiz made the foul and it could have seriously impacted the game, whereas Bednarek was kind of here nor there. Well, I think that's what all the Arsenal fans are saying is that um, they're, they're sending, the sending off of David Luiz changed the game for them and impacted them, which links to the Bednarek one potentially not being a, uh, which was why it was rescinded because it had no impact on the game. Whereas David Luiz getting sent off, Arsenal were one nil up, and then they scored the penalty, and then they're down to ten men, and then they concede again. That changed the game for them, which is I think why a lot of Arsenal fans were, they were thinking it wasn't a red card, and that it just impacted the game. Yeah, I think it's it's a tricky one because you don't, you don't ever really want to see a player get sent off, particularly especially if it's gonna, no matter which team it is, if it's gonna seriously affect a team's chance of winning, it's not really. A fair, a fair thing. I think what's what's good in a way is that both players got sent off for exactly the same thing because it shows some consistency in refereeing on the pitch. Um, I think I don't think it is necessarily down to favouritism, but I do think that it should be looked at as one in the same. So if if you look at the challenges side by side, they are pretty much the exact same challenge with the you know with about a centimeters difference kind of thing. Um, and this whole thing about not playing the ball, well, in that case, every challenge is therefore deemed a red card if you've not at least come out with the ball as well. well it's, like, sense. it's like those ones, you know, when your uh, a team is counter-attacking and someone just pulls their shirt on the halfway line. You've had, you've had, you've had no attempt. To, you've had no attempt to play for the ball. But I think most of the time it gets booked because it's a counter-attack. Like you think of Fernandinho, he does it. He does it all the time when a team are on the counter against City. He just chops them down, but he has no attempt to play the ball. That's always just a yellow card. I think as well. Well, the rule was put in place to stop goalkeepers getting sent off. So the idea being that when a goalkeeper comes out and grabs the ball but takes out the player, because he's gone for the, if he's accidentally taken out the player, but he's actually gone for the ball, then it stops goalkeepers getting sent off. And I think that's the crucial thing is that. Most teams have a good goalkeeper and a less good goalkeeper. So I think to make the rules fair, you have to kind of give them all the, the best chance of playing the best team that they can. I think by, by not having goalkeepers sent off for, for things like that is is kind of a, a good rule to have. It's obviously impacted the, what we've seen, but um, I think, I think it is, it's a good rule to put in place. However, what I don't think... Speaking of goalkeepers, what I don't think we can kind of overlook and say it's a good or bad rule is what what on earth was Bernd Leno doing? <laughs> uh, it kind of looked like he went to head it and then he's obviously seen Jay Lings has moved to West Ham. So I don't know if Jay Lings has like visited him in London and started showing him how to Millie Rock and he thinks he can give it a go. <laughs> and he's done one of them and just, I don't know what it is. To be fair, honest it, to God, it was the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen. Now you look, now you spoke about it. It did look like he did quite a good move. But now I think about it, it actually does. He looks, <laughs> he looks like he's busting a move. You must, you must have just wondered what went through his head in that moment to just do a move and hit the ball with his hand and just get sent off. 
I think a large part of it was the fact that Adama Traore is running towards you, <laughs> and you know that if he hits you, you're probably going to die. So you might as well uh, you might as well get the ball away. Yeah. But the ball wasn't particularly in a dangerous. I don't even know if Adama had got to the ball if Leno had come out because surely he'd have been at the byline by that point. And Wolves haven't been attacking particularly well, so it didn't really seem like a a relevant. It was so weird. I remember watching it back in the replay. He could have stayed in his box. Mm, I thought he'd done something sensible, like take someone out, kind of take someone out as they're running through on goal, you know, to stop it becoming 2-1, because that, that would be, or was it already 2-1? But, you know, I mean, stop him scoring another goal. That would have been something I'd have gone, oh, yeah, fair enough, yeah, well done. <laughs> but then I, saw it was a, then I saw it was a handball, so I was like, oh, he's obviously just like, I don't know, he's obviously just come to collect it, and it's been slightly out. And then I saw it, and I'm like, there's kids who play like under 10s, don't do that <laughs> you know I mean? and he's but, um, but yeah so to to kind of complete the the Arsenal story uh, Bernd Leno is cancelled um, and after you know after a fairly decent result against Man United and obviously they've got Villa tomorrow as we're recording this no it's correct um, you know they had a, a decent result against Man United in getting a draw and obviously then they played against Southampton obviously beat them so you know, I think they had a they had a good few few results lacking up, and to just kind of waste I mean, those good results like that against a team in Wolves who weren't really they weren't really playing particularly well at that point. No, Wolves have been on a honest. Wolves have been on a bad run of form. I think the loss of Jimenez has impacted that, which was obviously a, it's obviously a good result for them. Two one against Arsenal, one of the big teams, which might you know kickstart their season. Hopefully, Wolves can get on a bit of a run of form now and hopefully perform well. Yeah, I think there's been this this weird thing with Wolves where they had a good kind of two seasons, and everyone's or has it been three seasons, three or four seasons, however many it's been, yeah. and people now are expecting to kind of be Champions League or you know Europa League contenders every single time, but I don't think people quite realise that a their squad depth is pretty much nothing. I'm pretty sure one of their players used to play futsal. Um, I might be wrong, but one of my, one of my friends told me something similar to that, um, and. You know, the, the squad depth's not big enough, really. Their players are still most of the players they had in the championship. Um, you look at the defence, apart from Semedo, who's been god-awful. Um, and basically, as, as apart from the full-backs, the defence hasn't really changed. Uh, obviously, the attack has changed quite drastically, both in the selling of Jota and the bringing in of Jimenez uh, later, kind of earlier on. Um, but other than that, the team, in, this, in the sense of like the squad... And the way they play hasn't really changed at all. So I don't understand why people... I understand wanting Wolves to do well, especially, obviously, for a Wolves fan. But at the end of the day, if they're coming 7th, 8th, all the way down to 10th in the Premier League, that's still a reasonably good uh, a reasonably good season. Because the first thing you want as a promoted championship side um, is to, to establish yourself as a premiership side. You know, you look at... You look at what Fulham keep doing, and it's just it's a waste of a team getting promoted. To be honest, they promoted from the Championship, relegated from the Premier League, then they get promoted from the Championship again, then get relegated again, and there's just and they look like they're going down now. Whereas you look at teams like Wolves, um, Newcastle to a certain extent, Leicester kind of, but they've been doing it a bit longer, and all those kind of teams making themselves established teams, and the Premier League should be the first priority. So I don't think for Wolves people talking about Nuno should be sacked and whatever as much as they're a good side they're not there's no need to kind of go crazy about them coming in the top six 
five, whatever it is. They don't necessarily have to at all, I don't think. Yeah, because before the um, game against Arsenal, they were they were on a bit of bad form. They've lost, I think they lost uh, three in the league, drawn against Chelsea once. So they're on a bad run of form, but not. And then they obviously beat Arsenal, and then they've got a tough game this weekend against Leicester. Uh, Leicester on a good run of form. Um, they beat Fulham two uh, 0 uh, Just just gone. Yeah, I think I think Leicester have been a bit of a weird team this year. Like everyone, to be fair, but Leicester in particular, you know they. They lost. They've lost to Fulham. They've lost to some lesser teams, but then they've beaten Man City five two. Obviously, they've lost Jamie Vardy uh, just due to like his own personal health kind of thing. He's had to have an operation on a hernia or something. Hernia, yeah. I don't. Which is um, which is obviously unfortunate, but again, they've got they've got a good enough team. You look at Iheanacho, obviously coming in, kind of here and there. Perez doing a job up top if he can. Madison's obviously playing. Uh, like the player, pretty much everyone except the Premier League seemed to know that James Madison was a baller, but no one seemed to go for him. So then all of a sudden Leicester pop up with this really, really good, good centre midfielder, and everyone goes, oh, "Isn't he amazing?" Yeah, it's, it's it's a bit of a funny one with Leicester. I, I don't know if they necessarily deserve to be up there. I think what they've got is they've got a good manager in Brendan Rodgers. I think Brendan Rodgers is very criminally underrated as a manager. Leicester, they've got a good a squad. You know, James Justin, they've got very good defence. Wesley Fofana, and then we've got you know Ndidi, Tillmans in the middle, and then you know Vardy, Madison up top. It's a it's a good squad, good Premier League level squad. So moving on from Leicester, I think we have to look at uh, Brighton's performance this week. They had two tough games uh, against Spurs and Liverpool, and they've come out winners, uh, both one nil. Yeah, I think um, obviously everyone talks about first of all Graham Potter, uh, what a kind of high level high level manager he is. Uh, people talk about the football they play. It's always, you know, a very good style of football. And I can't remember the, the name of the team he used to manage, but um, it was a team that beat Arsenal uh, in the Europa League. And obviously, if, you, if you're doing that, you obviously are a good manager. And I think with Brighton, they haven't necessarily got the best players in the league, but they've they've got kind of, you know, something that very few teams can actually say they have. And they've got, they're you know, they're a bit like Aston Villa, uh, and they've got a very tightly knit bunch of players. They're all players that will play for the manager. They all believe in what they're doing. They stick to their jobs. And they obviously, you could see that they came in with a plan of attack. And they, you know, did it. They pulled it off. You look at, first of all, the Tottenham game. And it was a very, it was a very similar blueprint to Brighton, to be honest. Effectively, it's just sit back score one goal and then carry on sitting back again. There's been a lot made of Jose Mourinho in the week. Have you got any any opinions on him? Obviously, he, he used to be uh, the manager of your club. Uh, what what do you reckon to what's happening now? I think he's going through the cycle that happened at Manchester United. You know, he, he joined he joined United. He had a sort of a honeymoon first couple of seasons and then, like, you know, he won the Europa League. And then the third season comes and he sort of picks out on a player. And I think that player, when he was at Man United, was Pogba. And I think this season it's been Deli Alley, And potentially maybe in Bale as well. And I think Tottenham fans are just sort of getting a bit frustrated and they can see the the you know the cracks coming through the team. They're a different team without Harry Kane. Um, Son doesn't perform as well without Harry Kane. Um, 
and you know obviously a lot of Spurs fans are Spurs fans are unhappy that Bale didn't play, Deli Ali didn't play. You know, on his day, Deli Ali was one of the best players in the league. Um, you got a player in Bale who's you don't need to talk about Bale. You know, you um, he's done incredible things, um, and it's shocking that he didn't get a game time at Spurs. And you just have to wonder uh, how long Mourinho will be there. So looking at Gareth Bale. Um, you can obviously speak about how good he is. I don't think there's anyone who denies he's probably top five, certainly in, in terms of kind of a single season's worth of performances. He's certainly top five players of all time kind of thing. You know, when he was playing for Tottenham slash when he went into that Real Madrid team for the first two or three years, uh, he was unbelievable. One of the best performances of an individual player I've ever watched was that. Uh, it was the Champions League final. He came on for however many minutes it was. It wasn't many uh, against Liverpool. And you can just see the golfing class between players like him, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, uh, all these top players. And I think it's a shame that he's not getting the game. But what I want to know is how much of that signing... When, when Daniel Levy and Gareth Bale booked that round of golf... Uh, to organise the signing, which is, I think it's well documented that the first thing he did when he came over was he went on a round of golf with Daniel Levy and one of the technical directors, I think, at Spurs. Um, how much of that do you think was Bale just going, I need out of Madrid for a year. Get me. I don't care how much I play, I just want to be out of Madrid, uh, back at a club that loves me. How much of that do you think was kind of both Bale wanting to leave Madrid and kind of Tottenham and Tottenham's board going, hey, look, we've got we've got the kid back. You know, it'd be like Man United bringing back Ronaldo. He'd be like, oh, look at that, look at that, look how good that yeah. is. Whereas realistically, he hasn't played well, that think, much football under under Zinedine Zidane. Um, I, think it, I think it links back to when we spoke about Odegaard last week and saw falling out of a favour under Zidane. And I think that's happened to Bale as well. So I think they've both took these loan deals potentially in hope that he won't be there when they go back and there'll be a different manager and, and they'll be able to play under that manager. So maybe they're just trying to buy their time. They've joined alone, you know, play some football and then hopefully when they go back, there'll be a new manager and they can get their real Madrid yeah. career back on. And I think the the point you made about Jose Mourinho and, and Gareth Bale, I kind of was of the opposite camp. I thought what happened is they'd both kind of meet up and go, oh, Real Madrid in it. And they both kind of bond over that. But it seems <laughs> like it seems like Jose Mourinho, for whatever reason, doesn't want him there. But I can't understand a world in which Jose Mourinho doesn't make the signings at that club. You look at the like how how accurate the documentary was. I don't know, but when you look at Daniel Levy and, and Jose Mourinho's kind of relationship, it doesn't look like one where Daniel Levy goes, "No, you will have this player and this player only." It does look like it would have been a choice for Jose Mourinho to have Gareth Bale. Well, I think anyone anyone in their right mind, if you get offered. Gareth Bale. I think See, I disagree. Him. I think three or four years ago, if you got offered Gareth Bale, you'd take him. But the, you know, he, he's played more golf. I think the only team right now that could actually take him would be the <laughs> European Tour. Um, realistically, he'd probably put a better performance in for them. <laughs> but like, it doesn't make sense to me for for Gareth Bale. It makes sense for for him to go to Tottenham if he's going to play loads. But he was injured when he got there, or he wasn't fit to play when he got there. He's still not really fit now. When he plays, he looks 
good. He, there's, there's kind of showings of what he's already done. He's got more games to go, but I just wonder with it with it being is it a year long? It's a year long loan deal ending at the end of the season, isn't it? So he's got yeah effectively four months to go. He's obviously got the big game for him will be the the final against Manchester City. I think it wouldn't be surprising to me at all if he absolutely bossed that game. Um, you know, he, he comes on after 60 minutes, they're 2-0 down, he scores two, sets up Harry Kane for a third, that kind of thing. I remember him in that game against Barcelona where in the Copa del, Copa del Rey final where he, you yeah, know, when he ran off again, the pitch. It's... I, mem- I, rem- I remember watching that game live and he just literally ran the whole team and just scored yeah, I think to win the game. That's a that's the thing with big players that... like that is you, you get that kind of whether it is off the bench or whether he starts, you've always got that big thing. And I think the thing with Gareth Bale that makes it even more amazing for me is when you actually look at him, he played for a, a Real Madrid team that was already really good. You know, they had the best player in the world at the time in Cristiano Ronaldo. They had, you know, the midfield of Luka Modric, Sergio Ramos at the back. Uh, Casillas was in goal for a little bit, I think, before he retired. So you're talking one of the best teams and the fact that he didn't get in straight away wouldn't have been a problem. But then he started to get into the team straight away and he started to score loads of goals. And all of a sudden, you don't hear about him, but he's he's on over 100 goals for Real Madrid, I believe. Um, he, you know, He's obviously a very good player. It surprises me that Jose Mourinho doesn't fancy him over Bergvijn. But obviously I think the thing with Jose Mourinho is he like, he's, he's got his boys, his, his, his 11 starters... He wants them all to be his favourites. And I think the way I look at it is is Bergvine and Hoiberg will both go and crunch players all day long. Gareth Bale is not one to go into a 50-50 and you know, try and win it and make the tackles and track back and do all this hard work because he's been involved in a system for so long where he's had Sergio Ramos behind him or he's had Icaxias behind him or he's had Luka Modric or Tony Cruz behind him. So and you know, he's always had the people to make the effort for him. And especially with his lack in fitness, I don't know if Jose Mourinho doesn't fancy him. Not necessarily because of his talent, I just don't know if the system's right. Which then leads back to my point of why get him in the first place. Yeah, I think that's what the thing with Mourinho he he has his favourites at all always been. Um, you know, at Man United, I think Scott McTominay was one of his favourites because um, he, he he likes that player like uh, that goes in for the tackles. You know, Pogba wouldn't do the dirty work, McTominay would. So he chooses he, he chooses McTominay over Pogba. Even though every day of the week Pogba's the better footballer, the better player, but Pogba's not the, you know, the player to do the dirty work. I think the problem with Mourinho at the minute, because obviously there's been a lot made of him kind of being... Uh, kind of out of it and obviously he's, he's an old man he's not quite the same as he used to be but then we were talking last week you know like Carlo Ancelotti's an old man um, David Moyes isn't particularly young and you know Sam Allardyce isn't that young and yet they're all doing okay they still have a clear style no one ever moans about their style it's it's constantly adapting but then you look at you, you look at what Jose Mourinho does now versus when he first got to Chelsea, it's it's the same. And football's evolved, Jose Mourinho hasn't. And I think what you saw at the start of the season was a team who believed they were the underdogs, 
who believed that was how they had to play and who were coming up against teams who they just assumed were better than them. And then I think what happened was they started beating teams, they started winning games, getting the scrappy 1-0s, typical Mourinho stuff, Harry Kane's drop into the goal line, clearing balls, working his way up to Sun, Sun scoring a million goals a game. And then I think they got to the top and realised, hang on a minute, we're actually better than most teams. So what the hell are we doing sitting back defending all the time? And I think that's where you kind of lose the dressing room as a manager of you know Jose Mourinho's type. And I don't know whether the, the intelligent thing to do would have been by now, not to necessarily get rid of him, but just kind of start asking him, OK, who do you want rather than let's just bring in Gareth Bale? Because I don't think, as much as I don't think it would, I don't think necessarily it was a, a sign in that Jose Mourinho had no input in. It was obviously He was obviously explained why it was useful to have him. But I don't feel like uh, Jose Mourinho would have preferred Gareth Bale to, I, I couldn't think of anyone off the top of my head, but you you know, people who Spurs have been linked with in the past, um, you know, you look at bringing in people like Steve Bergwijn, Regulon, people who work hard for the team or going to 50-50s, that's why Ben Davis still plays, that's why Eric Dyer is somewhere in the team, I think you saw in the documentary, Moussa Sissoko is one of the favourites at Tottenham and one of Jose Mourinho's favourites in the team. Um, I don't know. I guess the question for me would be with Jose Mourinho is: is he is he going to ever be able to change his management style? I don't. I don't think so. No, at all. Um, I think uh, if man, I think if if Man City beat Tottenham in the Carabao Cup, which I think they will, I think. Mourinho will be gone by the end of the season, and I think he'll just become an international manager. I think he's had his time now. He's been he's been one of the best managers over the last you know ten twenty years. There's no doubt about that. But I think right now I don't think he can do it in the Premier League anymore. I think it was a bit like you know when Wenger's time had come to an end. I think you could all appreciate what a good manager and what a good job Arsene Wenger did but there was a time when everyone knew that it, you know he was over and I think that time is coming with Mourinho now yeah I think it's the, the thing I, that kind of I keep looking at is it is a shame but um, one thing you've just said there and I don't know why I've just thought of this Jose Mourinho was England manager obviously he was the understudy to Sir Bobby Robson um, and considering what England's main problems have been in terms of we've always been okay at the back, but we've never been able to kind of close out those games against Iceland. Would he be any good as England manager? It's completely off topic, but would he be any good as England manager? Well, you'd have to think that Mourinho, I think, could tactically, if you, let's say, have a, a one-off game and you picked a manager to tactically win you that game, I don't think you can pick anyone other than yeah. Mourinho. I you know, I think Mourinho, most games, gets it spot on when he was in his prime. I think now he has his ego. He cares more about his ego and all that. I don't think it can really look into it now. He chooses certain players. But on his prime, when the team's playing for him, he could tactically beat any team that he wants yeah. to. Yeah, and I think the main thing for me as well is he obviously he, it's well known that he loves London. I think I heard somewhere that when he was managing Manchester United, he stayed in London. Um, the reason he's back in top playing for Tottenham, uh, managing Tottenham, is because he he loves London. 
So I mean, it's probably been quite, a, you know, quite a cushy deal for him. But um, we're not here to talk about Mourinho as England manager. And I think we've just started talking about Tottenham against Brighton. And I think although we've talked about Jose Mourinho maybe lacking in that quality, I do think more needs to be made of what Brighton have done uh, recently. Obviously, the win against Spurs, and then more recently. Uh, I think it was only a couple of days ago, the win against Liverpool. When are we going to start to accept that in a couple of seasons, Brighton are going to be qualifying for the Champions League? <laughs> yeah. Win the league more, but, right? But um, to be serious, they they play a style of football which you'd only really associate with the top teams. Um, I think there's been a change this season in their style. I think, you could, I think last year you could sort of see what he was trying to do. And I think this year... It sort of come into play with the possession, the pressing. Um, I think it might have just been a lack of players that he had. And I think this year, he's got the players, he's got a good foundation of players. And I think, you know, they're all, like, they're all playing for him now, in a way. And obviously, you can see with the performances against Tottenham and Liverpool that they're obviously good defensively solid and they can, they can get the goals to win. Yeah, I think... Obviously, their problem is attracting players. Um, you know, even if you're not that good a club, you look at my my classic example is things like Brentford, uh, not really Charlton, but th- these kind of clubs that are in in London. At least they've got the location on their side. There is nothing that would attract a football player to Brighton, and yet <laughs> they've got all these surprise ballers. One thing I do want to mention. Um, it's something that I talk about with my girlfriend quite a lot. Is there is a player for Brighton? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bring up his name because I always forget it. His name is Alexis Mac Allister. Oh yeah, you know who I'm talking about there, number ten. So he's an Argentinian, yeah. and I swear on my life he is Lionel Messi's twin brother. Or is Lionel Messi reincarnated? I don't know if you've ever seen him when he's on TV. And you know when players are just running around and you don't really get a good idea of what their face looks like. I can't look at him without thinking of Lionel Messi. <laughs> I think he, it's actually scary how much he looks like Lionel Messi and yet how far off Lionel Messi actually is. Uh, give, him, give, him a co- give him a couple of years, he might get there. Yeah, you never know. Well, again, that's what we're talking about. With Graham Potter at the wheel, they're going to win the league. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, McAllister's gonna gonna get a uh, gonna get a, a Ballon d'Or, and it's gonna be incredible for him. But they are they are obviously they are obviously building um, building a very good team there. They they don't really go for massive amounts of signings. I think they like to have players that can play in their system. It, you know, it seems quite important to them. Um, and I guess the one thing that you could very embarrassingly say is that obviously they beat Liverpool recently. I'd say that their transfer policy is as good as, as good as, if not better, than Liverpool's. Because obviously they have recently, well, obviously we'll start from the beginning. They've been struggling since the Everton game with the loss of Van Dijk, uh, the loss of Thiago for a little bit, uh, and then recently they've lost Joe Gomez. They had Trent out. They had Robertson out for a bit. Did they or not? They've lost. They've lost Matip to, for the season as well now. Matip's gone as well. Um, and just looking at that uh, Brighton game first of all, they're they're really struggling. The second half of that game, uh, Liverpool didn't have a shot on goal. 
See, yeah, that's what I mean. Well, but which is mad to think when you have got Mohamed Salah in your team. How can you, how can you be struggling to create anything with him in your team? Firmino, uh, obviously they're missing. I think they're missing Mane quite a lot. Mane is the one that runs in behind. You know the speed. Um, but obviously they're they're missing their defense, which has obviously let them down this season. Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, defensively, are they even that bad? Because in three games they've conceded three goals. I think in Spurs, was it Spurs, Burnley, and Brighton they've played, or Brighton, Burnley, Spurs, they West whatever Ham. it was. Oh, and West Ham, sorry. And they, well, they only conceded one goal in that. So yeah, in four speak. games, they've conceded four goals. Is that is that right, or am I making that up? Uh, yeah, that's right. But they, they lost yeah, two. Yeah. Of, they lost two of them, one nil. Yeah. And then they conceded one against Tottenham and West Ham. Yeah. So it, it, the thing is, everyone's talking about oh, they've not got Van Dijk. Um, I think a lot of people take that as, oh, they've lost Van Dijk, they can't defend. But I think what it is, is it's not having... Because obviously you're having to drop Fabinho, Jordan Henderson back into defence. And so then it becomes like Shakiri, Thiago and kind of Ginny Wijnaldum. And I don't yeah. think any of those players are good enough to do the role that Fabinho does or that Jordan Henderson does. And so I think what you're getting is is kind of it's not necessarily that they're struggling in one department, they're struggling in one department, but it's not that they're defensively bad. Like Jordan Henderson has been quality really in defence for them. He's like I say conceding four goals. I don't think they've they've not conceded more than a goal if they've lost a game, have they? No, I'll tell you who I think I'll tell you who I think they've missed more this season than Van Dijk is has been Diego Jota. Yeah, definitely to have I, to have that backup for think, Mane or Salah or whoever. I think could the the injury last year. I think they got lucky. Well, not lucky necessarily, but they they look well lucky with injuries. And this year they've all all the injuries have come. They don't have the squad to be able to do that. that they don't have such a good squad as Man City, where when they bought Jota, he was a very good player and he was always you know pushing to be in the first 11 which is what I think they needed at that time because I think the signing of him pushed Salah, Mane and Firmino even more which is in, in a way a bit hard to do because they're that good already but then with the injury of him uh, I think the three up front are just they know that they're going to be playing every week so without them like Firmino if he has a bad game he knows he's still in the team. So do you think that's why, obviously recently, uh, I, think, I can't remember which game it was in, but I think Divock Origi started one of them. Uh, who else? Shakiri's been starting on the wing. All these kind of players. Do you think that's why Jurgen Klopp might be dropping them? Just to kind of say, you know, you're not guaranteed here, boys. Come on, yeah. put a bit of a shift in. Or do you think it is literally just... Because I think the problem that really annoys me with Jurgen Klopp, he's obviously arguably the best manager in the league, certainly with what he did with that Liverpool team. You know, there's always that picture of Jurgen, Topps, Jurgen Klopp's first Liverpool team and you've got like Danny Ings is there, Lucas Leiva's in there, Di Bocarigi's in there, um, all these kind of Simon Mignolet's in there and you look at what he's turned it into and for me, the thing that's always really annoyed me, especially last season, they were winning the league by miles and they could have probably done better but he's trying to play the exact same team for both the Premier League and the Championship without making any changes. <laughs> they just keep going unchanged. It's literally, you don't even have to read the team sheet. It's Van Dyke and another. So the centre back occasionally changed, but it's mainly Joe Gomez. Alisson in goal, Trent and Robbo, Henderson, Fabinho, 
Ginny Wijnaldum was normally the other one, and then it was Salomone Firmino. And okay. they were play- they they would have played what thirty eight games pretty much all of them last season plus the Champions League. I um, think it's caught. I think it's caught up to them now. I think the season that they had last season, without you know barely making any changes, I think it's caught up, finally caught up on them, and they're obviously reaping the consequences of it now. And that this is what I, I'm kind of getting at is I don't understand why Liverpool as a club haven't invested in more players like Jota. That aren't necessarily going to walk into your starting eleven, but they're going to push the other players. You know, you look at um, even Allison to a certain extent. His main rival is Adrian, or well, it's now <laughs> Matt Ryan, which is no, still Matt... not very persuasive. Obviously, Matt. Oh no, not Matt. Sorry, he's at Arsenal. Um, yeah, he went Arsenal. He's yeah. literally Adrian. That is so depressing. <laughs> but anyway, and and this is my point: is that Liverpool as a team. Are incredible first team better than anyone in the league by far. That's fine. Yeah. But if you know, as we've seen, what people keep saying, you know, oh, it's it's been really unlucky for Liverpool because you know three centre backs have gone missing. You can't expect them to lose that as well. Worst case scenario does mean the worst case scenario. So I can't understand how you wouldn't plan for all your centre backs to get injured as a as a title winning team. It's not like they're short of money. You get hundreds of millions for winning the Premier League. Go out and buy, even if it is like they have done already, the lad from Schalke and uh, Davis from Preston. Go and buy three or four of them who can just train with the under-23s, maybe occasionally get up into the first team. Obviously, they've got Van Dijk there. They'll learn off him. Get some players for the future. And if you are going to buy these players in January, play them in January. (laughs) Because at the minute, they're, they're... Games at the minute is, I think it's Man City, Leicester, and I can't remember else who after that, but they've got a tough run of fixtures coming. Yeah. And there's no way that they're going to play Ben Davies against Man City or the other guy, to be fair, against Man City. And there's no way they're going to play him against Leicester, Leicester either. They've already lost 1-0 to Brighton. What difference would it make if they'd have played Ben Davies? What difference would it have made if they'd have played the other guy? Um, Not Ben Davies. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Ben Davies. Ben Davies. There's a lot think, of Ben Davies. I think that just looks at uh, you can look at what Man City did this summer. They bought Ruben Diaz when they've already mm. got you know John Stones, Laporte. They bought I think they bought Ake as well. He he, he didn't even get game time. Exactly. Uh, and the thing the thing that gets me, the main thing about it is you know when people talk about oh, you got to train certain players to do this and that. I'd much rather spend in terms of spending on the team. I'd rather, if you split it into two and kind of have the goalkeeper and the defenders and the midfield and the attack, I'd much much rather have like a £500 million defence and a £100 million attack or a half a million, a £50 million attack or something like that. Because then at least you're not going to be letting in loads of goals. No, that's I, what I, I just don't understand why. That's, that's, what's, that's what Sir Alex Ferguson always said. Defense, attack wins your games, but defence wins your titles. Yeah, and the thing is, I know Liverpool aren't going to be thinking like this, but you know if you don't concede, that means you're either going to draw or win most games. Literally. Now, doing that is enough to keep you... not like Drawing every game is enough to keep you in the league. You know what I mean? So, why would you... Obviously, they've got Salah, Firmino, Mane, set, brilliant, that's done. Why would you not have... Because, like, City have got Laporte, Diaz, Stones, Ake... 
Uh, who else can play? Like Rodri and Fabinho. Fernandinho can technically play there, but that's kind of yeah. not what we're talking about. Well, because in Man City's last 10 games, they've conceded two goals. And one was against Chelsea, and the other was in the FA Cup against Cheltenham Town. Yeah, and this is the thing, is that people talk about Van Dijk and how he improves people. Like He will improve all the young players that he trains around. But who's keeping Van Dijk going? Because Van Dijk can walk into training and basically say, yep, yeah, that's fine, I'm, I'm playing anyway, so I'm just going to sit and have a coffee, you lads can train. Same with Alisson, same with the front three without getting Jota. That's the whole thing about competition. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's what you need. You look at, um, to bring it back to what I know, you, you look at Forrest at the minute, I'll only touch on him briefly because it's, it's very boring being a Forrest fan right now. Um, Forrest have brought in two players, uh, Joe Garner, obviously the young Manchester United lad, yeah. um, played his first game actually against Coventry and was man of the match. Outstanding performance from him. Yeah, it was incredible. Oh. Honestly, he's so good. I, I couldn't he, I couldn't speak highly enough of him. He's very highly rated at Man United and I think Yeah, he's, I mean, he's played he's played Europa League, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, he's played yeah. I think he's always been in the squad and he's always trained with the first team, but he's just not had that breakthrough yet. But if he has a good if he has a good second half of the season at Forest, like you say, he is he had mm. a good game. But the kind of even even that sign in for someone who plays for Forest, that's that competition. We bought in this Kravinovic because Joe Lolly, Sammy Amiobi Anthony Knockhart, uh, Luke Freeman, they all weren't really performing very well. So you bring in this guy who gets into the first team instantly. And the same yeah. with like I, I think one of the be- I think one of the best examples I can think of right now is Luke Shaw. Yeah, exactly. You bring in Alex Tellez, who looks like he should be a good footballer. He looks pretty much like Bruno Fernandez looks in the same. He's got that dark hair, kind of bearded, chiseled look going on. He comes in and does really well. And then Luke Shaw goes, oh, hang on a minute. I actually you know, need to start playing games. And then even if Alex... Because Alex Tellers, I think, if I'm right in saying, he hasn't been the best. He's not been terrible, but I wouldn't say he's been amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I think it's 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 needed. And again, we, we keep talking about Liverpool with this. The reason Liverpool was so good last year is because of that drive. They always wanted to be the best. And I think... Whilst they haven't got necessarily competition for places, they have got Jordan Henderson, James Milner, Andy Robertson to a certain extent. That spine and obviously Van Dyke, but it's mainly those three: the uh, Milner, Henderson, and uh, Robertson. Because you can see when they play, especially Jordan Henderson. I love watching the videos of him. You've probably seen him on Twitter when he when they're playing, and the crowd noise is off, and all you can hear is Jordan Henderson. <laughs> Basically, just talking his three team through a game. I'm surprised that after a game, when he goes and does an interview, he can actually talk. Because you know, even we talk an hour doing this, and you know, it's nowhere near as intense as what Jordan Henderson does. No, um, but I think they have got that. But I just think they definitely they need someone. I think they need competition at centre backs. What they don't need is a lad from Preston and a lad from Schalke, who I think Schalke are near bottom of the league, aren't they? Yeah, they are. At the minute, they're they're not doing particularly well. Um, I think think talking about competition, I think we have to talk about West Ham and them signing Jesse Lingard and to, you know, increase competition for places in the West Ham team. Yeah, so obviously we're going to talk about Jesse Lingard for West Ham. But what I want to talk about is kind of look into the future. Uh, So obviously you've brought in Donny van der Beek. You've brought in obviously Bruno Fernandes. uh, You've got Paul Pogba in there. 
Fred in there, McTominay in there. I know they all do different jobs, but it's the kind of midfield we're talking about. So mainly kind of Donny, uh, Bruno, slightly Pogba. If Jay Lings has a very, a, an unbelievable season this year, does he start to see game time at Man United or does he just get sold to West Ham for 20 million and then West Ham qualify for the Champions League or something like that? Um, I think, uh, personally, I'm, I want to see him play football. You know, um, I'm a massive fan of his and obviously he's been, he's been through a lot through his personal life, which is not good to see. Um, but I'm just happy to see that he's playing football now. Like I was watching the West Ham game against uh, Aston Villa and I actually cheered for him scoring, which is very weird considering he plays for West Ham now. You don't know, I don't normally cheer when other teams score, but because it was Jesse Lingard. Um, but in regards to him, I do think that his Manchester United career is over. Um, I think with the sign, I think with Bruno. I can't see many players in football, in world football, getting in front of Bruno. But is there? I suppose with Jesse Lingard, he's a bit too old to be to be considered as, as competition. I, I I definitely agree. I think he's he's either going to go to West Ham or someone a bit higher up. So maybe just like a Leicester or even like a Spurs or someone like that. Um, and I think he'll he'll finish out his career because obviously he's a bit he's a bit too old to be considered like a a young talent now, isn't he? Really. But I think well, I think the thing is with Jesse you can Lingard, say, you can say that he's he still had a good Manchester United career. You know, he's won a, he's won the Europa League, he's won uh, the FA Cup. He scored that goal against Crystal Palace, that volley, to win us the game. Um, and I think and Man United fans will be thankful for what he's done. But I think it is time to move on. Yeah, I think obviously he's he's, he's a decent player. I don't think he was ever the best player at United, but I think he's a decent player. And one thing, well, there's two things you can say about him, is that if you're ever in a game and you want the other team to lose your he- lose their head, Jesse Lingard is the player you, you set out to do that, regardless of who it is. You see him moonwalking at the Emirates. And the <laughs> I Arsenal love him crowd, for that. Mental. You see when Marcus Rashford gets snapped or Paul Pogba, any one of them gets snapped, he's straight over. He's captain material without being a captain, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I yeah. think when, when you've got a player who puts in the amount of effort he does... Obviously, I don't watch. I watch a fair bit of Man United, but when you watched him for England in the World Cup, I think he was nearly undroppable, to be honest. For some yeah. games, he was. He was especially in the game against Panama. I know, obviously, he scored that long shot, but just watching him when he played for England, he. Not many players for England historically have given what you'd call a hundred percent for England. You you know who I, you know who I see. Like a bit of Jesse Lingard now, and I think you might agree is a uh, Mason Mount. Yeah, you, yeah. You see, I know what you mean. He's just the kind of player that he enjoys playing his football, and he always just gives a hundred percent. Like they, he may not be the best at football, but you know what you get in from uh, him each, each week. Yeah, and I think the the big thing about Jesse Lingard, uh, obviously, we kind of talk about it a bit every week. <laughs> well, I say a bit every week in both podcasts we've talked about it so far. <laughs> Um, is the idea of Jesse Lingard, uh, you know, everything that's gone on in his personal life. I think it is worth saying that even just, you know, in, in what we're doing, I think if we'd have gone through half the stuff he'd have gone through, we probably wouldn't, you know, even be making a podcast. We would, we'd, we'd still, you know, we wouldn't even be able to continue what we're doing. Um, no. And the fact that he's, you know, able, he was still able to perform after, you know, everything was going through. You, you'd hear stories of him going to parents' evening with his, ki- with his brothers and sisters because he's, his mum or dad can't make it or whatever it is. 
um, I think you have to say props to him, but also I think that's why uh, people have started to love him is just because yeah. he never he never once complained. He told Ollie privately once, I think, and for a man of his age, a man of because especially the type of man he is, you know, he's not he's not what you call a hard footballer. He does look like one of these skillful, tricky, not quite a, a pretty boy player, but you know what I mean. He's he's not quite the Harry Maguire type where. You know, he'd had a brick if you asked him to. Um, it's it's good to see a man like that come out um, and kind of talk in the way he has about the stuff that's happened to him. You can see it means a lot to the Man United players that he is playing well. Yeah. Um, and I think obviously getting him getting him a move to West Ham where he can just start playing football and he can just stop worrying about everything because that's the main thing. I, th- I don't think he wants to worry about, you know, his his life anymore, really. I think he just wants to keep playing football. I think it just shows you that you never know what's going on in someone's life because, you know, when he was always playing football, you could always see him, you know, he always looked the happy chap, you know, he's always dancing, mini-rocking, you know, you always see him on his Snapchat on his phone. Um, but I think it just shows you that even people like Jesse Lingard, they could go through tough times and I think it's just important to just always be kind and you know, you just never know what someone's going through. Exactly, exactly. Um before we move on to uh, the FPL talk, because I think that's enough on, um, well, that was actually our conversation about Liverpool. Um, <laughs> and we kind of moved on to Jesse Lingard. Um, but <laughs> don't know how that works. Yeah, no, neither do I. But again, it's, it's what the podcast for, isn't it? Uh, the one thing that I did forget to mention before we started, and I think it's worth us us mentioning, and we can cut it out if you, if you don't agree, but I'm pretty sure you will, um, is... Uh, this week we we found the horrible news, and I think we were we were meeting to talk about the podcast when we found out that uh, Captain Tom had passed away. Yeah. And obviously, we're talking about Jesse Lingard and all the tough times he's been through. Um, and I think it's just right for us to say, regardless of whether a football podcast with pe- nine people listening or whoever we are, that um, we want to give all the best to his family. Um, we want to thank a man who's who's helped so many people so much. Um, I think it's just it's probably just a, a a word that probably needs to be needs to be said before we move on to anything else and start laughing about how crap our FPL leagues were. Yeah, but he did a very it was incredible what he did during that first lockdown. Uh, the amount of money that he the amount of money that he raised. Um, I think if I'm you know as half the man he was, then I've I've been you know a decent man then. Um, so obviously, obviously, we send our regards to his family. Yeah, I think the thing that that always got to me was, you know, imagine you've gone through your life and you've been through the war, and you fought in the war. For me, I'd just be like, yeah, it's fine. Just gonna put my feet up, chill. Don't need to worry about right. it. And then he goes and raises millions and millions of pounds for the NHS. And I'm like, hang on a minute, you should be you should be relaxing on your own. Like, what what are you doing? But then you see him, and obviously it is. It's a shame that COVID got him, but at the same time, he's left behind an amazing legacy. He's done some amazing yeah. things, both for the country in terms of fighting for us and uh, what he did for the NHS. Um, and I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't really, it wouldn't sit comfortable with me if we went a whole podcast talking about how amazing all these football players are and, you know, they're getting paid what he raised per three years, say. Um, I, I don't, I wouldn't feel right if I did that, but um like we say, we send our, con- our condolences to to the family, and if we're all good with that, we'll we'll move on to a bit of FPL talk and 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 have a laugh at you for a bit, Ben. 
What do you mean? I'm I'm beating you. Yeah, I'm not talking about this week. Um, <laughs> so it depends who's actually listening to the podcast versus who's watching. But um, who's watching our TikToks? Uh, we recently made a TikTok looking at some of the things that we said last week. Um, so going through the main one. Um, obviously, there's been two game weeks since then. We're going to mainly focus on the uh, was it the game week before last. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So game week twenty one. Um, so we we were we were in the podcast uh, talking, uh, kind of in our FPL bit about what what decisions we were going to make next, what players we were going to make next, and um, you said for a start. Uh, I've just got your I've just got your team up here so we can definitely make sure of it. So it was um that you've brought in three Man City players. Uh Cancelo was guaranteed points and you brought in <laughs> Gundogan and Sterling, who were guaranteed points. Sheffield United was guaranteed points against City. It wasn't. Uh, and then you said Chelsea <laughs> playing Burnley was guaranteed points. So you put in Edouard Mendy and Ben Chilwell in there. And Mason Mount. Uh, and and Mason Mount. Uh, Mason Mount did get five points. However, and Mendy did get six, that's fair enough. Uh, but I can't help but notice that Chilwell is sat there on zero. And to be fair, the Chelsea players made up a large majority of uh, of your points for the week. <laughs> I think the main thing to look at from that week is... Yeah, to, what, uh, do you want to just read out who my captain was? Oh yeah, of course I will. Um, that would be the injured Saudi Armani uh, on <laughs> uh, zero points. Oh, so what happens um, when uh, your captain gets injured? Just tell me. Uh, uh, well, if he doesn't play, then uh, obviously the vice captain comes into play, um, and you, vice captain Sterling, who let me just <laughs> check what he did in that game. He, uh, oh, we got. Uh, let me just check. Uh, he <laughs> did. <laughs> he didn't play. Well, oh, well, in that case, you got zero points with all your Man City players, which is very funny. Um, <laughs> so your total for the week was how many BBK? Was it ninety two? So you say 72? No, 22. 20, oh, 22. Yeah, I see, it's funny because um, because Madison and Mount got 11 points. Uh, Mendy and Mount got 11 points combined. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know if you're very good at maths, but 22 divided by 2 is 11. <laughs> so uh, two players have got half your weekly total. Um, yeah, we didn't, yeah, we didn't look the brightest of sparks last week. And I'd like to move on to a comment I made um, I mean, looking back at it now, it's not that big a deal. But I, uh, I was looking at my fantasy team, and I believe my quote was, uh, "Oh, I seem to have Aaron Wambasaka as my captain. Don't want to do that." Aaron Wambasaka got, I believe, so it's seventeen points he got against Southampton. He uh, did. He had uh, two bonus points. Uh, played ninety minutes, kept a clean sheet, got an assist and a goal. And um, uh, was he your captain? No, it wasn't. Phil Foden was my captain, and uh, Pep <laughs> dropped him. Uh, luckily, Bruno was my vice, so I'm I'm all good. But um, yeah, I also had Paul Pogba in the team, so I thought you know Southampton would be a good game for Paul Pogba. Obviously, forgetting that uh, Ollie seems to think that he doesn't know how to run and thus swaps him out for Scott McTominay every time. It looks like a game requires that little bit of effort. Um, <laughs> luckily, like I say, luckily for me. Um, Man United, Man United did win nine nil, but I uh, I do think it is funny that we were we were talking last week like we were uh, you know like we were really you know really good at this FPL stuff, um, and then that happens. 
I think I reckon we should just uh, make a prediction for what's going to happen this week. So, for any of our listeners that are listening, uh, they want yeah, to copy what we do. Yeah, go on then. So, as in, are you talking about results or are you just talking about players? Players this week. So, I've gone, I've bought uh, Mendy. Mendy's back into my team, the goalkeeper. And I bought Son. Yes, I, I did the same. I did the same. I've got Son in and I've now got David De Gea. See, I've got De Gea on the bench, but I saw that they were against Everton. So, I didn't trust, I don't know if I trust uh, them against Everton. But I've gone for the captain of Antonio. See, I'm looking at mine now. I think I'm going to vice captain Antonio. But to be fair, it doesn't really matter because my captain is Hyung Min Son, and Hyung Min Son is definitely going to play. He's just probably not going to score. Um. So, in terms of in goal, so you've got Mendy. What? Yeah. So who's he playing against? He's playing against Sheffield United. Sheffield United. What do you think he's going to do? Do you think clean he's going to keep a clean sheet? Clean sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, score? Do you want to give a score? Do you want to? I'll go for that. I might, you might get an assist, I reckon. What, Mendy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just going to lump one over the top then. Okay, yeah, fair enough. He's <laughs> just going to do a lump over the top. Werner runs in behind goal. God, you can tell this is the end of the podcast. Yeah, so I've got David De Gea. I don't think he's going to keep a clean sheet, but my other one is Martinez. And as much as Martinez makes about 27 saves a game, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that's going to be enough when Arsenal... Bang three past Villa. I've just got yeah. a feeling because the way I'm looking at the Premier League now is, you know how you say right, Villa at the way they're playing now should beat Arsenal. So for that reason, they won't beat Arsenal. <laughs> you know, like um, the other one is Tottenham should easily beat West Brom. So for that reason, they are probably going to lose to West Brom. That is true. You know what I mean? So I think yeah. So in goal, De Gea versus Mendy. At the back, I've gone four across the back. I've gone Diaz, Cancelo, Creswell, Wambasaka. Obviously, okay. Diaz and Cancelo are playing against Liverpool. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not really expecting a lot of goals from Liverpool. So, for that reason, I think they're going to keep a clean sheet. I think Man City win that and go on to win the league. Creswell, uh, even if he doesn't keep a clean sheet against Fulham, I think he will. But even if he doesn't, he'll get an assist on corners for when Antonio comes up and heads the ball into the goal to get you some... Some captain points, and Wambasaka is in form, so I just thought, you know, chuck him in. He's going to be against Digne, I think, or whoever plays at left back for Everton, and no, uh, Richarlison. So that'd be a good scrap. But generally, I think he's going to be fine with that. What's your defence looking like? Um, I've gone for three at the back. I've gone for James Justin against Wolves, um, yeah. Stuart Dallas against Crystal Palace for Leeds, and Aaron Cresswell as well. Uh, just a question about uh, Stuart Dallas. Um, what about Leeds' record in conceding goals makes you think that Stuart Dallas is the man to pick? Um, he's he's been he's been a very good player for me uh, this season. Actually, he gets uh, quite a lot of goals and assists for a defender. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm just he's, gonna. He's got he's got a favourable game against Crystal Palace. Yeah, I, to be I, fair, I mean. Ten... Potentially, Zaha might be injured. So, you know, Zaha doesn't play for Crystal Palace. They're literally one of the worst teams in the league. That is true. I mean, they have conceded 38 goals in 21 uh, in twenty one games. Um, and so, you know, the only other team that's close to that is Newcastle with 36. But then, to be honest, you say that with Leeds, they've scored 36. So, basically, what you're looking at is, you know how normal teams would scrape a 1-0? Leeds scrape a 4-0. You know what yeah. I mean? It's... 
So yeah, fair, fair enough. Still a Dallas. It's, again, like you said last week, it's about the differentials. I think my differentials probably Creswell, although not really. I don't no, know. Creswell's got different. a star next to him. That means he's one of the favourites. Yeah, there you go. Um, so moving into midfield, what are you looking at for this week? I've gone for a five. I've got Fernandes, of course. Uh, Hyung Ming Sun, Jack Grealish, Suchek, and Bakayo Saka. Mm, I think we honourable honourable mention for Suchek. He's been a um, very good player this season. Unbelievable. Um, and <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's pretty much. Uh, I'm just going to read off mine. I just want to see what yours said, what yours is like compared to mine because I think it's similar from what you've just said. I've got Fernandez, Madison, Son, Grealish. So what's the uh, difference? You've got obviously you've got Suchek and who else have you got? Saka. Oh, and Saka, right? Okay. Saka, yeah, so I did it's ha- kind of similar. I did have Harry Barnes, but I saw Leicester have got a couple of a bit of a tough run of games. So I thought I'd just get Son in because you know he's normally guaranteed points. But I, while I say that, I say that Son's guaranteed points against West Brom. Watch him get two. Yeah, exactly. Of course, that's how it works. Um, <laughs> that'll be the game that Gareth Bale plays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. So oh my god. Mourinho's um, just Mourinho's listening to this. Oh yeah, Son's not playing this weekend, boys. Yeah, he's just <laughs> he just looked at what Pep does and everyone's like um all oh, right, so uh Pep likes to drop his best players. I'm gonna try that. David probably, and then when, it, then when it doesn't work he'll be in the interviews going, Well it's Pep's fault. I don't know what it, well, it's not our fault. I just did what Pep does. But anyway, moving on to the strike force. So if you've gone 3-5, you must have a two. two up front. Yeah, I've gone for, obviously, you know, Antonio. And mm-hmm. I've, I've made a decision. I've got Cavani, but I've also got Werner in the team. And, uh, okay. I think Cavani's got a bit of an injury, so I've gone for Werner because he's got a favourable fixture against Sheffield United. And I think he's a bit of a dif- differential. Not many, uh, Not many people have him. Yeah, so I've got I've got Antonio and Firmino, and I think um, with with Werner, I think the main thing, you know, obviously uh, he he plays up front. So the thing you're looking for is goals. Um, yeah. His goal scoring record's got to be unbelievable, isn't it? Um, yeah. As in, well, you I can't you'll... believe it. It's so. <laughs> um, well, I think you'll find that he's not being played much striker. I think with this new manager in Thomas Tuchel, I think we're going to see the best out of Werner. And I'll, I'm hoping I'm going to reap the reap the rewards. That's easy for you to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I mean, I've gone Firmino up front. I don't really know why. Um, thank you for listening to the Bolf podcast. Uh, this has this has been the Bolf podcast with me, Ben, and me, also Ben. We want to thank you very much for the interest in the podcast we've already had. I'm sure we said this at the start. Uh, if you have listened this far, can you please give us a follow on Spotify? Also head over to our Instagram and our TikTok. Uh, you can access one from the other. So if you go to our TikTok, you can go to the Instagram and vice versa. Uh, give us a follow and uh, we'll give you some updates on the podcast and stuff. If you do have any questions you want to want us to answer, um, please feel free to send us in. And if you are interested in getting on the podcast, come along. Send us a message. We will get as many people on as we can. Um, I imagine we'll start lining up a few guests in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but other than that, uh, thank you very much for listening. And thank you we'll very much see indeed. you next time. We'll see you next week.